Okay, so um, cell phones muted, uh, hearts open. Everybody's got a sermon handout, right? Let me see your sermon handouts. Let me just see them. Oh, y'all are so good. Wow, that's great. I'm so proud of y'all. How many of you have a physical Bible with you? If you do, can you just hold the physical Bible up? Oh, three of y'all. That's exciting. That's great. You need to get you a physical Bible. I know they're on your phones, but for heaven's sakes, just get a physical Bible. You need it. It, it, it makes you look spiritual at least, okay? <laughs> you don't have to read it. Just carry it around. <laughs> get the biggest, thickest one you can. You might build some muscle if you carry it around a little bit with you. Um, so we're in a series, and, and, and you probably thought we ended our series uh, last time I spoke, but we didn't. We didn't. Uh, we're in a series called Back to the Future, and um, we have dealt with everything concerning the past. We spent eight weeks dealing with the past, trying to encourage you to let the past go, forgive the people that hurt you, uh, forget the disappointments, you, you, nothing you can do, let it go, let it go, let it go, um, in the words of Elsa. And, um, and so today in part nine, I want to talk to you about this. Be present. Be present. Now, so too many times our mind is on the past. You know, what didn't work out, who hurt us, what we should have done differently, or for us, especially a lot of men, our mind is on the future, on that promotion we're working hard toward, on, on being able to retire by the time we're 60 years old, that client we need to call back next week. The problem with your mind being in the past or being in the future is you miss the present. You don't savor the moment of today. Yeah, I know a lot of men, they come home from work, but they're not really home. They're there, their mind's on the TV, their mind's on something that happened yesterday, something that happened at work that morning. They're not present with their family. I know a lot of mothers, they, they spend time taking care of their kids, but they're in a hurry to get them to the next level. If I can just get them out of diapers, get them into kindergarten, get them into school, before you know it, they're graduating college. And you miss very, very important, vital parts of their lives. We have to learn to take each day as a gift from God. It's very important that you show up for today. Your destiny requires that you live today, not live tomorrow, not live yesterday, but you have to live today in this very moment. Um, you know, I'm so excited about our new church and the nine acres. When I used to drive on this property here, man, I was so grateful. I was like, God, we have a paid off property, the center of market common. Now, every time I drive on this property, I'm like, get me to the new building. I can't stand this place. Get me out of here. You know, I got to learn how to savor the moment that we're in right now. Because you know what? We're living in the good old days. This is a good old day right now. Ten years from now, y'all are going to be in that new building and you're going to think, man, remember when we had that little church at Market Common? We're all squished in there like a family, like the Brady Bunch, you know, all together. Remember when Pastor John Paul had all of his hair? He, he, he used to look so handsome. Now he's really let himself go now, you know. This is a good old day right here. To the, the, the age that your children are right now, they'll never be that age again. Once tomorrow comes, they're older. And you might not realize it, but everyone in this room, we're all dying. We're dying as we're sitting here. We are dying right now. Live in the moment. It says in Psalms 118, 24, today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and celebrate today. It doesn't say this is the week the Lord has made. Why doesn't it say this is the month that God has made? Here's why you might not be here tomorrow. The person that you're sitting beside right now, they might not be here tomorrow. How sad would it be to waste this day that God's given us? And it says we're supposed to celebrate today. A lot of times, especially in America, when we think celebrate, we think, uh, you know, win the lottery, a birthday, a wedding, some big celebration. God says celebrate that you are alive in this moment. Celebrate that you're here right now. Hebrews 11.1 1 says now faith is. Today could be the day that God turns everything around. Today could, today could be the day that you meet the person of your dreams. 
Stop looking around in church right now. Wait, just wait till after service till you meet them. And Bob's already taken, so don't look at the back of church. You're not going to find what you're looking for there. Um, 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, now is the time for God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Once you open up today, this gift that God's given us called the present, once you open it up, you can never reopen it. You'll never get it back again. How important it is that we connect with the people God's put in our life every single day. How important it is that we recognize that God's leading us and he's moving in our life. and We have to go to him daily and say, God, what do you want me to do today? Today is so important. So I have three points for you. Before I tell you the points, I need you to write this word down on your paper. Write the word connect. C-O-N-N-E-C-T. Just write it. If you got your phone out and you know, listen, if you're in church, man, just turn your phone off. You know, you, uh, it's easy to think, well, I can hear you preaching and check my texts at the same time. It's not about hearing me. It's about hearing from God. And God's a gentleman. And so many times, nine times out of ten, he's not going to, you know, jump over the radio, jump over the kids screaming, jump over the TV, the cell phone, and say, okay, I got something to say to you. It's usually in a still, small, quiet voice when you actually prepare yourself to hear from God. We have to connect every single day to three different areas. Ready? Point number one is this. You have to connect to God. Every single day. It says Psalms 46.10, be still and know and recognize I'm God. Be still. Everybody say, be still. You know, when I first started pastoring, I had eight translations of the Bible in front of me. I had the TV with T.D. Jakes preaching here. Kids were crying in the background, you know, dishwashers going. And for some reason, I thought, why am I not hearing from God? You know, why aren't you speaking to me? And so for every day when I would take a shower, all of a sudden in the shower, I'd get these ideas for sermons. And I'd, I'd hear God say, you need to call this person later and encourage them. And all these things. And I thought, man, that's so I started looking forward to taking a shower because it gave me all my creativity. I realized about six months into it, that's the only place on earth at the time where there's no kids crying, there's no cell phone ringing, there's no TV going on, there's no dogs barking. It was my quiet and still place, and I heard from God so clearly. So now I'm making a habit every single day to get quiet with God. And even if it's just two minutes of your, I'd love you to do 20 minutes. If it's just two minutes a day, you have to hear from God every single day. Exodus 16, 4, he said, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, I'm going to rain manna from heaven. Everybody say manna. manna. Now, that's the original translation. Later on, it got translated bread because it was a bread-like substance. But I need you to remember the word manna. He says, every day I'm going to rain down manna from heaven. Each day, the people can gather enough for that day. In this way, I can test them to see if they will obey me. Okay, listen, why didn't God say, hey, every week I'm going to provide for you? Now, we know he's going to provide for us, but why didn't he say every week? Why didn't God say, listen, on Sunday mornings at 9.20 and 11 a.m., I'm going to give you everything you need for the rest of the week? Why didn't he say that? Because he wants you to go to him every single day. It's a relationship. It's not religion. It's not you show up on Sunday and you get what you need for the rest of the week. It's a daily thing. And the word manna literally translates in the Hebrew, what is it? That's literally what they said. They, they didn't have a name for it. They called it, what is it? What is it? Remember that. Now, here's the thing. Whenever you're trusting in the provider, you know he's going to be there every day. But a lot of people sometimes, they don't trust in the source. They trust in the bread. And so some of these people, they gathered more than a day's worth. 
They thought, man, I'm so worried about tomorrow. I got to make sure I call that client back tonight. Oh, if I don't work 80 hours this week, I'm not going to get that promotion. They were so focused on the future, they took more than what they needed. And in verse 20, it says they disobeyed. And the next morning, what they kept was full of worms and rotten. What you try to provide on your own will always rot in life. And a lot of you have some rotten days during the week. And here's why. You're not relying on God daily. You're relying on yourself. And, and when you put you, you, and we always think, I'll slow down one day. I'll spend time with my wife one day. I'll make sure she's important to me one day. And we climb the corporate ladder. And what happens is you end up losing the things that do matter because you're focused on something that doesn't matter. Your, your source is not your boss. Your source is not the bread. Your source is God. But when you think the government's the source or the paycheck's the source or the stock market's the source or the money's the source, you go after those things rather than pursuing God. And here's what manna means. Manna means what is it, right? Here's what you need to say every single day. God, what is it you want me to do? What is it? Do you, every day, God, what is it you want me to do in this meeting? What is it you want me to do with this problem? What is it you want me to do with this client? And listen real close. You're not supposed to call back everybody. You're not supposed to take every promotion that you're offered. You're not supposed to go after every bit of extra money that, that is available to you. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to say, God, what is it you want me to do about this? And let God lead you. Because you know what we do too many times? We go after the bread and then it ends up rotten. And we say, God, I need you. And God's thinking this. You wouldn't have been in this situation if you had asked me this morning, what is it you want me to do about it? You go into relationships that you weren't supposed to be in. And after your heart gets broken, God, I need you to heal my, heal my heart. And God said, you wouldn't be in that predicament if you asked me, what does he want me to do about this person that's texting me or asking me out? We don't rely on the, the source. We rely on the bread. Let me show you one of the greatest examples of this in the entire Bible. In 2 Samuel chapter, um, I think it's chapter 5. It's going to say 15, but that's wrong. It's chapter 5. Uh, David had just become king of Israel. Just become king. He's king of Israel, and the, the Philistines, and you know the Philistines are bad guys, right? Goliath was a Philistine. David defeated him. So these Philistines gather at this valley, and they're, they're coming after David. They want to attack David. Now listen real close. David is a natural-born warrior. He's a killer. He's a military man. It is, it's, 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 it's his instinct to attack an enemy when an enemy's attacking him. You have to, I need you to just picture that, okay? From the time David was small, he was a warrior. It's in him. In fact, I could do this great study one day on these military strategies that God gave David in the Bible that to this day, militaries all over the world are still using, and it came from the Word of God. That's how great of a military man David was. So these enemies are in front of him. Certainly David should attack. That's what he's, God gave him the ability God put this inside of him. It's who he is. He doesn't even need to talk to God about it. There's an enemy. They're Philistines. Of course I attack them, right? It says in Samuel, 2 Samuel 5, 19. Good job, honey. David inquired of the Lord. He spent time with God that morning. God, what is it you want me to do about this enemy? Shall I attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? Okay, listen real close. God is not obligated to bring you victory in battles that he did not lead you to fight in. He is only obligated to bring you victory in the areas that you said, God, what is it you want me to do about this? And if he leads you, he'll bring you victory. If he doesn't lead you, we end up crying, God, get me out of this mess. You know, I can't. Why did it happen to me? It's not my fault. They did it to me. And God's saying, why didn't you ask me? Why didn't you spend time with me this morning? The areas we don't ask God for God's help are the areas we're all on our own. 
And man, then we, we're all on our, we think, God, where are you in this? And God's like, where were you, you know, talking to me before you got into that mess? So listen, let me tell you something crazy. You ready for something crazy? About a month later, the same set of Philistines, same type of, same army, different Philistines, but same army, they come to the exact same valley, same valley, a month later to do the same thing, attack David. Surely David's thinking, listen, I've preached 500 sermons. I can do this one on my own. I've closed 7,000 deals with a client just like this. I can do this one on my own. I've fixed it. I've done enough. I've changed enough toilets as a plumber. I've done enough electric work. I've, done, I've built enough houses. God, I know what to do. You told me last week what to do. I got this. No, in verse 19 it says, uh, David said, the, well, verse 22, once more the Philistines came to the valley. So David once again inquired of the Lord. Once again, it was the same situation. Why does he need to ask God again? Here's why David was a man after God's own heart. He knew, I can't live today off of my time with Jesus yesterday. Today's a new day. God might have me do something else. And thank God David asked. In verse 23, the Lord said this, don't attack. Now, I'm glad he asked or he would have been killed. Here's what I want you to do this time. God said, circle behind them and wait till you hear a sound in the poplar trees. It goes on to say, if you study that when David sat there and sat there and waited, and once this rustling in the trees occurred, God just handed his enemies over to him. Thank God he went to, thank, thank God David went to him every single day. God does not want you hooked on a formula. He wants you hooked on him. He doesn't want you, you know, hooked on a feeling. I'm high on believing <laughs> that God's in love with me. Well, that'd be a good parody. We need to do that. He doesn't want you hooked on a feeling. He wants you hooked on him every single day. God, what is it you want me to do today? I promise you your life will be so much better if you'll connect with him daily. Point number two is this. You got to connect with your spouse. Um, I'm really going to rebuke you today, so this is going to hurt your feelings, but that's okay. There's not another important person in the entire world than your spouse. It's God and your spouse. God and your spouse. It's not God and your kids, ladies. Your children do not come before your spouse. Never, 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 never. If you put your kids before your spouse, you're living in sin. I just want you to know that. Your kids are not number two. Your kids are number three. Your spouse is number two. Because listen, if you're raising godly kids, the Bible says they're going to leave you one day. That's what God wants your children to do. Leave you and cleave to their husband and wife. You leave and cleave. What are you going to do when they leave? If they're your identity and they're your life, what are you going to, if you have not connected to your spouse... What are you going to do when your kids leave? You and your spouse are going to live like roommates after that? Because you spent 30 years, you know, focusing on the kids or focusing on work or something else. Ecclesiastes 9.9, enjoy life with your spouse. Enjoy loving you. Here's why. Every day is actually a gift. It's a gift from God. Listen, the clients don't matter. Your stupid big house doesn't matter. The, the, the dogs don't matter. Your boss asking you to work 20 extra hours a week doesn't matter. It's better to live in a tent with someone you love and that loves you than live in a mansion. You'll be all alone one day. They may live in it with you, but that house is not a home. Because you didn't connect to them. 1 Peter 3, 2. Why don't you enjoy their husbands? When's the last time you actually enjoyed that man that you're, that you're married to? When we disconnect with what matters, we end up connecting with what doesn't matter. How many, how many couples, they live in as roommates, they sleep in the same bed, but there's no intimacy. They go to a house, but it's not a home. <clears throat> you got to stay connected. You have to stay connected. Um, 
Nothing else matters. Work does not matter. And listen, if you have friends that are taking your time over your spouse, kick those friends to the curb. They're not good friends. They're not good friends. A good godly friend will say this. You know what? You and your wife or you and your husband, y'all are having some issues. You listen, you need to stop hanging out with me and you need to go serve that person and spend time with them. I do not matter. Your spouse matters. That's a good friend. That's a real good friend. And some of you ladies, you get all fixed up for church. You get all fixed up for your Bible study. You do prayer meeting, Bible study, choir practice, and, and, and you wonder how come your husband's more connected to a television than he's connected to you. Why don't you use some of that same energy and pour into him? He matters more than your friends. He mean matters so much more than your friends. And you, you do so much more for the people in church than you do your own spouse. You do so much more for your kids. You want to look good at work, right? You want to look really good at work. You want to get popular at work, make the money, climb the corporate ladder. And, and at home, your family's dying for your attention. They're dying for intimacy with you. Uh, one of the craziest things is uh, women tell me this. They say, I can't get my husband to come to church. I just try so hard. I pray so hard. Here's why. Because you're lazy and selfish. That's why your husband doesn't come to church. If you weren't lazy and you weren't selfish because you have the energy to pour into everybody else, how come you don't spend that energy on him? And you want to look good for everybody else. How come you don't want to look good for him? Lazy and selfish women are the ones whose husbands don't. I'm going to tell you how to get your husband to do anything you want him to do. Anything. Listen, if my wife wants me to rappel down a 200-foot waterfall, I'm doing it. I don't want to. I think I'm going to die, but I'm going to do it. I'll tell you how to get your husband to do anything you want. Here's the first thing you do. You treat him like a king every single day. He is the most important person in the entire universe other than Jesus. He is so important. He is so important. Who you are in your marriage is who you really are. That's who you really are. So let me say this. What your spouse thinks about you, that's who you really are. Because if there's anyone God's called you to serve as that person, but nothing else matters. Nothing. Money, work, people. Nothing else matters but your spouse. Nothing. The way you, you, you serve him all week long, you affirm every single day, you make him his favorite meal, and then and if, you're, if you're married and you don't own lingerie, you are lazy and selfish, okay? So here's what you do. You put on that nasty flannel robe you've been wearing since 1994. Your mom had one just like it. It did nothing for your mom. It does nothing for you, okay? I was going to tell you to cut some holes in it. It's probably already got holes all in it. They're just in the wrong places. <laughs> You cut some holes in the right places. Listen, I'm being honest with you. I know it's funny. I'm being honest. And if the only dance you know how to do is the hokey pokey, you get right in front of your husband in the TV. Because that's probably what he's looking at is the TV. And, I'm, and if you don't do this, he's probably connected to pornography more than he's connected to you. Okay? You stand right in front of him where he can see you. You do the hokey pokey. You turn yourself around. And that's what it's all about. And you, and you, and you, and you whisper. And then you whisper in his ear. Will you go to church with me on Sunday? And if he says, I'll think about it, you say, I was thinking about doing the hokey pokey in the bedroom. Now, will you go to church with me on Sunday? I promise he'll do whatever you want him to do. You know why? And it's not about how you look. It's about the attitude of, you're important to me. I did this for you. I took time and energy because I love you. That's what it's about. How do you think I get Micah in church every Sunday? <laughs> I do the hokey pokey, man. <laughs> Turn myself, put my right foot in and my right foot out. <laughs> what am I talking about? And you know, me and my wife, we, we fight just like every couple. I mean, we don't work Christians. We don't fight. We have discussions just like all y'all do. We discuss things at 100 decibels is what we do. 
But the reason that we always work it out, no matter, and we've had some, not, listen, we're both very high energy people, especially her. We're very high energy people, very intense people. So when we fight, it's not a little thing, it's a big thing. Here's how we always work it out, because we always stay connected. We always stay connected. Always, always. Um, during the summer, we will lay a blanket outside for about two, maybe three hours a night and just look at the stars and talk. No phone, no TV, kids are in bed, we're done with our houses clean, we just stay connected. Um, uh, last year I decided to surprise her and get like a, in our, in our, our house isn't, you know, it's not, not a mansion, we love our house, but the master bathroom is just one sink and a shower. That's the master bathroom. And so I surprised her to get a bathtub, you know, installed, not a jacuzzi or nothing, just a bathtub with a shower. And so the guys would come do the work. And I said, honey, I'm getting this bath. Oh, she was so excited. Oh, this is great, great, great. As they're working on it, she said, I didn't know you like baths. I said, I don't. I did this for you. She said, I don't like baths. I like showers. <laughs> and this surprise isn't turning out like I thought it was going to turn out. But they installed it. And so listen, every single night, I'm sorry, let me, let me be honest, five nights a week, five nights a week, we sit in the bathtub for an hour and a half to three hours from 10 p.m. to sometimes 1 a.m. And we just, talk, we just keep filling it up with hot water. We just talk. Now, I don't want to give you all a visual, but I'm, I'm six foot two. And it's a little bath. Have you ever seen the alien that came out of Sigourney Weaver? And it, that, that's what I look like in the bathtub, trying to fit in there, you know. But let me tell you what's amazing about it. There's no kids crying. There's no TV. We don't go to the TV when, the, when everything's done. We don't go to the TV first. We don't go to the cell phone or work first. We don't respond to all the emails first. It's always, I have to connect with you. And let me tell you why this is so amazing. Uh, when I first started pastoring, I thought that every person was incredibly shallow. Because all I heard about is money, relationships, and health. So when I started pastoring, I thought, well, this is easy. I can write 10,000 sermons on money, relationships, and health. That's all everybody cares about. And then about eight years ago, maybe about, 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 about six years into pastoring, I started going to counseling just to be a better man. And I still go to counseling, and I love it. And so I called, you know, how much? They said 120 bucks an hour. I said, how much for five minutes? Because that's all it's going to take me is five minutes. I'll tell you my problems, five minutes, I'm in and out. I went to counseling, and before I knew it, the counselor said, time's up. I said, no, I paid for an hour. They said, it's been longer than an hour. I said, are you kidding me? And I realized the most amazing thing, the depths that's inside of our souls. When someone's willing to say, it's just me and you, I'm not going to answer my phone. I'm not going to tend to the kids. I'm not going to watch TV. When you give somebody your undivided attention and you say nothing else matters, I want to hear from you. The things that come out of us, you have no idea the beauty that is still inside of your spouse. You have no idea the anxiety or the hurts that are in your children until you take a moment to look at them and say, we're going to talk. We can sit here in silence. We can sit here for hours. I'm, gonna, I'm here with you. Nothing else matters except for you in this moment. We do that every single night. And no matter how bad we're fighting, no matter what's going on, every night we have five kids. And when they were all living at home, it was tough to get alone. But every day I got alone with every single child individually. Talk to me. You ask your husband, how was work? Fine. What'd you do? Nothing. Who'd you see? Nobody. Okay, we're done. That's not how it works. That's not a marriage. That's a roommate. Man, when you take the time to listen to what's going on. The other day I took my son Asher. I said, I said, let's go on a walk around the neighborhood. You know, leave the cell phones here. The things he just talked about. The things that are inside of all of us. But it takes somebody to draw them out. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, The plan of the heart of a person is like deep water. But the intelligent man of understanding draws it out. 
I'm teaching our elders in church this right now. Because I say, listen, when I send you an email, when I send you a text, when I say, I got this idea, I want to do this, don't tell me yes and don't tell me no. Don't even talk amongst yourselves. Should we do this? Is this a good idea that John Paul does this? What do you think? You come to me and you draw it out of me because I don't even know what's in my heart. Our own heart deceives us. It takes a person of understanding to ask the questions. What are you hearing? What's God saying? What are you feeling? What are you worried about? What are you excited about? Tell me what's keeping you up at night. Tell me what gets you up in the morning. Talk to me. When you do that, the things that come out of us, it's amazing. Song of Solomon 1.6, they made me a keeper of vineyards. But the spouse that God gave me, the kids God gave me, the things that God entrusted to me, I didn't do none of that. But everybody else was happy. At work, man, I killed it at work. They thought I was great. Oh, at church, I looked so spiritual. Man, everybody at church thought I was the best prayer warrior or singer or teacher. But my own vineyard? The one that God actually entrusted, the one that matters, is full of weeds. How sad is that to walk into a home that's filled with weeds, but at work there's some flowers blooming? With your friends on the team you play on, the poke, whatever you do with your friends. Poker, softball, pool, whatever it is you do. Man, they love me. I did good there. If you think you're going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, and the one human being on planet earth you're supposed to serve. Is it being served? You lost your mind. Now, I'm not preaching against divorce. If you're going through a divorce, if you're divorced, there's life after divorce. If you're married to somebody that's abusive, senile, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those of you in here that are lazy. That you have the energy for everyone else except for the person God's given you. Point number three is this, your children. You have to connect to your children. Every single day, you have to connect to your kids. Ecclesiastes 6.3, you can live a long life, have a hundred kids. If you don't enjoy them, you're better off dead. And I know, you know, let me tell you the saddest thing. I see, I see, you know, there's so many Christians out there that that they, 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 they're very harsh towards women who have had abortions. Very harsh, you know. No, is abortion wrong? Abortion wrong. You know how many fathers abort their kids? You know how many fathers abort? Well, well, she got remarried and and my child's got a stepfather. Doesn't matter. You're the biological father. But they live in another state. You know what? There's this new thing they've invented called cell phones. And you can actually talk to somebody who lives in another state. You can actually send them messages. Can you believe that? The day and age we live in? <laughs> um, it, when I had my first child when I was uh, 16 or 17. I, was, I, was, I just started my junior year of high school. And I was a rebellious teenager, you know, just ran from church, ran from God, hated my parents. And, um, you know, I'd run away all the time. And so I had my first child. And so... Um, there was no internet to find out how to parent, you know, or how to change a diaper or nothing like that. And so uh, his mom would bring her to my bring her, bring him bring him to my house on the weekends while all my friends were out playing. I was taking care of my baby on the weekends. And so um, she said, "You know, you got to feed him." I said, "I know, I got to feed him. He's a human being. I know what to do." You got. I said, "Listen, I got this. I got this." And so I knew that children need babies need to drink milk, right? So I went to Walmart and got a bunch of bottles. And I didn't know there was such thing as formula. Nobody ever told me that. So I just got some milk, and then as I was making his bottles, I thought, you know what? I like chocolate milk. Who doesn't like chocolate milk? So I would squirt some Hershey syrup in all of his bottles. I I had no idea. I turned out okay. But um, 
but anyway, and so I have a pillow bed, you know, like on the floor. And so he and I, we would just, we'd sleep together every, every weekend on the floor in my room upstairs and I had a cooler next to me with all this chocolate milk bottles in it. And so I didn't, when he cried, I didn't have to open my eyes. I'd reach over here and grab the milk out the cooler, shake it up, get the chocolate on and give it to him. He'd go right back to see. He loved his dad. We were the best of friends. And, you know, I learned, of course, over the years, you know what's so funny is just a few weeks ago, I was over at his house. There's a picture, I think, of, of um, you got it up there? And uh, that's me and Logan on the left, and that's Logan and his son, um, Leo, on the right. And so he's got two kids now, him and his wife, and, they, and his wife is an angel from heaven, and they're very balanced. This sermon today, they live out every day of their life. Great, great, great. But um, I was over the other day, and Madison, my, my, my daughter-in-law, I don't think she knew, but Logan... He made a, um, a sweet tea bottle for the baby. They have a little baby too. And he put sweet tea in it and handed it. And I, and I thought, what? You can't do that to a child. It'll rot their teeth. What do you think? And they, they live in Conway, so it's probably just a normal Conway thing. Anyway, <laughs> so I was going to correct them, but let me teach you something. You're not allowed to correct your grown children. It's against the will of God. And I want you to know, if you continue to correct your grown children or give them unasked for advice or tell them what they should be doing, I just want you to know, God will put a wedge between the two of you. God does not want you in relationship with your grown child that no longer lives at home if you're going to keep. That's one of our respect. Just like God doesn't want people doing that to you, you don't do it to them. You're no longer their parent once they move out of the house and they're over 18. It's the, most, it's the strangest relationship on earth. It starts off, you have full influence. You can bathe them when you want, feed them what you want. As they get older, the, the, the authority starts to lessen and lessen. When they're 18, they move out of the house or 19 or whatever it is, you no longer have any authority over that child at all, at all, at all. You now become their friend and their, their brother and sister in Christ. You can encourage them. You can love them. You are not allowed to correct your grown children at all. It is against the will of God. I can show you all through the Bible. Anyway, so I was about to correct them, and I didn't do it. And all of a sudden, Logan whispers over. He says, remember when you used to give me chocolate milk bottles? <laughs> and, yeah, I remember. You know? And you turned out okay. You know? <laughs> Funniest thing. Okay, so, uh, so, so, so Israel was looking for a new king, right? Saul wasn't doing good. And so God told Samuel the prophet... Go to the house of Jesse. One of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king of Israel. And it, it, Jesse hit the lottery. Imagine, you know, he hit, someone tell you, your child is going to be the next president, whatever it is. I mean, everybody that day was wishing they were Jesse's boy. Anyway, that'd be a good parent. And so 1 Samuel 16, 10 said, that was good. Jesse had seven sons pass by, and Samuel said, none of these sons are it. God told me it's one of your kids. He told me it's one of your boys, in fact. And all the, these are all your sons? And here's what the father thought. He thought, you know what? <laughs> I got my youngest, David. He can't lead people. He leads sheep. He has no authority inside of him. He has no kingship inside of him. He's nothing but a little boy. And it says, it goes on to say, and on verse 12, David was, this is probably what they're going to put on my tombstone, so be ready. David was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. <laughs> and the Lord said, anoint him. He's the one. Okay, listen to this. Jesse had a king living in his home, and he didn't even know it. It took a man from another state, from another church, from another school. It took some other man to go up to Jesse's son and say, man, you got something great in you. You're going to do amazing things one day. Don't let someone else acknowledge the king or the queen living in your home before you do. How dare you allow someone? Well, I know they're probably, man, they're not doing right. Listen, there's something good in them. If you don't call it out, somebody else will. But you're the parent. You should be the one to call it out. 
Um, you know, Chris Skinner, uh, a friend of mine, he, he lives in heaven now. He's a hero to, to many people. Um, his son is the one who prayed earlier, Caleb, during the praise and worship. Chris was the guy in the electric wheelchair at the back of church for those, those several years. And he's in heaven now. He, he passed away last year. But, you know, Chris, um, he couldn't do a lot physically. I mean, he could barely, barely you know, move. His, his hands did the wheelchair and his head, of course, could move. But he's never once picked up his children, never swung them around, never played soccer, never went on a race down the street with his kids. But you know what he did do? Susie told me the other day that every day the kids were in school, he would call their cell phone, knowing they couldn't answer. And he would leave a message for them. I love you. I'm proud of you. So when they got out of school, that's the first thing that they heard was their dad saying they love him. So how proud he is. Okay, you know how many healthy men abort their children? How many healthy men could do so more than Chris did whatever he could? And yet there's so many fathers out there. Work's more important. What I look like in the public eye is more important. Let me tell you a secret. Um, for 10 years, I've worked my butt off trying to build a church. I mean, 10 years, 80 hours a week. I remember my, my, my and you all know I'm divorced. My first wife, she would beg me. She said, please turn yourself off. I can't. What if somebody needs me? I don't want them leaving the church. I worked so hard for 10 years to build a church at the expense of my marriage, right? Lost everything, started over. And so this time I did things different. This time God first, my wife second, my kids third. You know, not once have I tried to build this church. Not once have we had a meeting. How can we build the church? Is there a new area of ministry we can start? All I did was get God first, wife second, kids third, and God brought all the other stuff. Yeah. Now, so when you see somebody, when you see somebody who's successful, let me tell you why they're successful. There is only one of two reasons, only. When you see someone, man, they're so successful, they got it. It's either one, they're not successful. They just pursued something that you think is success, but they have no one that loves them and no one that they love. They pursued the money or they pursued the career or they pursued the popularity, whatever it is. They pursued this. It wasn't God. It wasn't their spouse. And you think they're successful. They're actually not. They're actually hurting bad. That's either that or they got their priorities in order and God brought all of those other things along behind them. Don't go after the dream. Go after your spouse. Don't go after the promotion. Go after your kids. You can have anything you want in life, but you can't have everything you want. You have to choose. You can have anything you want. You can't have everything you want. <clears throat> I'll close with this. Um, when I went through my, my incredibly horrible, dark years a while back, I lost everything except for Jesus, which is not a bad place to be. It just hurts really bad. Lost everything but Jesus. <clears throat> um, out of my five kids, my son Zach um, hated me. Um, he despised my guts. He wanted to, to, to he, I mean, he just, I didn't see him. You know, I, I'd say, hey, buddy, I, I love you. He'd say, I hate you. I'd say, um, I'd like to get together and see you. He'd say, if I see you, I'm going to kill you. I mean, he would send, he, he would send the F, the GD, everything. I hate you. I hope you die. I never want to see you again every day. And every day I would text him, I love you and I miss you. I'm so glad you're my son. I'm so proud of you. I'm so thankful, God, God, let me be your dad. Every day he'd send back, I hate you. You mean nothing to me. I never want to see you again over and over. I thought it was going to last. I thought I would never be in a relationship with him again. Every day I tried to connect. Every day he tried to disconnect. 
After nine months, all of a sudden, one day, after nine months, phone rings and I see it. I thought, oh man, I don't know if my heart can take it. What's he going to say now? I said, hey buddy, what's up? I thought he was going to scream, cuss, I'm after you. I'm outside with a gun. I mean, just everything. And he said, um, Dad, can I live with you? Before I could even say yes, I'd already picked him up. He got in the car. He said, Dad, I just want you to know. I'm real. I said, no, 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 no. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. We're going out to eat. Ruth's Chris, New York Prime, what do you want? You want steak? You want lobster? We'll go wherever you want. We went out to eat. After we got done with dinner, he said, Dad, I need to tell you, I'm real. I said, no, 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 no. You don't say nothing. We're going to the mall. I'm getting you a whole new shopping, you know, all new clothes, whatever you want. We went home. I said, I said, this is your, I said, your room's been ready for you for the past nine months. Do you like it? He said, I like it. He said, Dad, I can tell you, I love you. And I'm, so, I said, don't say it. I know, I know. I'm just happy to have you back. It was like the prodigal son, you know, had returned. Before we went to bed that night, I was driving a, a, a SUV, a Lexus SUV at the time. And he had just turned 16. Before we went to bed, I said, I got something else for you. And I threw him the keys to my Lexus. I said, this is for you. Just happy to have him. Here's the point I want you to see. I would not allow him to disconnect from me. He can try. You can tell me you hate me. You can tell me you don't want me in your life. But guess what? I'm your father. I'm going to be there whether you like it or not. I'm going to love you even if you hate me. I'm going to pursue you even if you reject me. I'm going to affirm you even if you cuss me out. I am your dad. God gave you to me. For the rest of my life, I'm going to be in your life. Amen. And nothing's going to stop you. Man, where is the... Where have our priorities gotten? You know, the greatest thing about COVID, and I am close, I am closing, but when COVID hit, you know, we were so ungrateful for the norm. Oh, I got to drive in traffic, go to church again, go to school, go to work. And then when all that got taken away from us, now we, we, we're like, God, just bring the norm back. Okay, I realize your life is very routine. I realize that. You have concerns, worries, okay? Every day is a gift. Amen. You're not supposed to take every promotion you're offered. You're not supposed to work every extra hour you get the opportunity to work. You're not supposed to go off with every friend. You're not supposed to watch every TV show you want to watch. There are things that matter in this life. And last thing, and I'm done. If we got bombed tomorrow, what would your concerns be? If we heard that the U.S. is getting bombed by whoever, what would your priorities be then? I got to call back that last client. If I don't get this deal, I'm not going to be ahead of the game. I'm not going to be able to retire. Whoa, whoa, man, the bread's not the source. God's your source. And I promise you, if God is number one, your spouse is number two, and your kids are number three. Psalms 90 verse 12, teach us how short life is. So we can use our time wisely. Man, I encourage you. Enjoy this moment because you're never going to get it back. Amen. 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 Okay, let's go.